Hi, and thanks so much for downloading Season 3, Episode 7 of The Fix, featuring pitching motion troubleshooter Angel Borelli. I am your host, Joe Janish, founder of FixingPitchers.com. Let's get right to it. So I, I know that it seems like every episode I'm talking about the New York Mets, and I hate to say it, but once again here in, in Episode 7, it's it's going to be a lot of New York Mets talk, and it's not because I'm being biased or anything, but it's because the New York Mets have been in the news for the last week and a half. They've had you know, three different issues come up with some of their young phenom pitchers. I just want to run through them really quickly and, and talk about them, but I, I also want to talk about why we're hearing about news from the New York Mets all of a sudden. And it, it seems to be that their management, starting from the front office down to the manager, and with the pitchers, they have open lines of communication, which is something that I know that you are very happy to hear about. For, for once, uh, a major league team has stepped up and kind of taken away that wall of where pitchers feel like, you know, they need to be tough guys and not tell the manager or tell the, the team doctor about like a pain or, or an issue or whatever. And in, in the last about 10 days, three uh, major New York Mets pitchers have spoken up because they have this this open line of communication and they said hey you know there's something going on with my elbow I'm feeling some pain and interestingly enough there three pitchers are in three different stages there's there's Steven Matz who's really in his rookie season this year he had a little call up last year but this is mainly his, his rookie season he's uh talked about having some flare-ups with his elbow and his forearm twice already this year uh, in both cases the Mets you know made some steps towards alleviating that issue. Um, another pitcher is Zach Wheeler, who is on his way back from Tommy John surgery. He's done the same thing. He's he's on his way back from Tommy John surgery. He was supposed to throw in a simulated game, just throw a simulated inning down in the Gulf Coast League. And right before he went on the mound, he said, you know what, my elbow's not feeling great. And, you know, instead of being the tough guy and saying, oh, I, I can, you know, pitch through this, he said, you know what, I'm, I'm feeling an issue. And the Mets shut him down. Uh, to their credit, and they they stopped them, and they said, "All right, let's 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 just see what's going on. Let's take you down. Let's let's uh, uh you know treat this as a minor setback. We'll give you a cortisone shot. We'll let things quiet down, and then we'll see what happens from there." And you know, this is something that wouldn't have happened two three years ago because pitchers have uh, always been the tough guy. You know, it's always been they don't want to let their teammates down. They don't want to seem as weak, and it's been this like culture in MLB that you know you pitch when you have pain you pitch through it so I know this is news Angel that you're happy to hear yes I am and actually the thing with uh, Zach Wheeler is great because um, you know the the re-entry program was doing its job which is you increase the intensity to try to make sure that the arm's okay and uh, and through one of the phases which was his phase of where he was going to be facing hitters or he did face hitters in a minor league appearance um, you know his his arm broke down so that's that's great news because then he can immediately address it so um, you know the the re-entry program was working yeah and it you know and, and again if he didn't say something he could have gone back on the mound with this issue I, it was a a nerve irritation of some sort, I think. Did you read that? Yes, it's a, he actually has a sensory nerve uh, irritation, and uh, it probably is the ulnar nerve, which is a sensory and a motor nerve. 
and uh, which does not bode well for him. Uh, and particularly because, you know, uh, doing the kind of work I do when he, a pitcher has a symptom, uh, what I do is look at the mechanics to see if I can see an obvious mechanical cause for it. And in fact, the um, arm mechanics that he's always had, uh, which is the inverted W style, uh, is uh, just a, a nerve issue laying in wait to happen when a pitcher does that. And he's been getting away with it. Well, not completely because of his surgery, but if he went back to the mountain pitching like this, it's easy to see why he would be irritating all the musculature through his forearm and his upper arm. That's the problem with the inverted W. It affects the elbow and the shoulder. So um, the unfortunate thing is when you ma can match the, uh, the injury and the pain to the mechanics, then you know that you know the mechanics has to change. And he hasn't changed it to date. So I don't know what he's going to be doing, but it is not something that will quiet down. In other words, he, this thing will get the best of him until he decides to make a change. Because once his mechanics go to this level where the nerve is irritated, I mean, you want muscle to be irritated before a nerve. It's much easier to deal with. Um, he So this is kind of putting him, uh, this, is, this would be him being between a rock and a hard place. So we'll see what happens with this. But it is great that he spoke up. And great that uh, they they went ahead and are doing what they're doing, which is they're giving him cortisone to take down the inflammation of the nerve. Yeah. Now, now here's the thing, and and I'm so glad that you brought this up and mentioned, you know, what you do is you connect the dots, and and you just connected the dots, and and this is the part that now the Mets and other MLB teams have to do to take the next step. Now now that they have the information, now that the the pitchers are are willing to say, hey. I got a problem here. My elbow's barking. I've, I've got some irritation. I've got some discomfort. I've got some tightness. Now they're taking the, they're doing a good step. Step one, taking them out of the game, shutting them down, whatever it is. But now the next step should be connecting the dots. And this is where I'm starting to have, you know, I'm happy that we're moving, but we're not moving quickly enough because in both the case of, of um, Zach Wheeler in his, in his rehab, and Steven Matz earlier in the season, the treatment was exactly the same. And it sounded like they were treating the symptom instead of finding the root cause. In both cases, both Matz and Wheeler, what they did was they said, okay, let's shut him down. Let's stop. Let's give him a cortisone shot. And then let's wait. And then let's put him back on the mound. There wasn't that extra step where you mentioned uh, just before is connecting the dots and saying, well, wait, why is he having that, that, elbow tightness or forearm tightness or why is he having that ulnar nerve irritation there must be something causing that it's not just coming out of the blue that you know there's always a cause for something and that's the part where you know i feel like there needs to be another step and that's where someone like you would come in and say hey hold hold, hold on this is what we have to do uh, you know what would you do you'd have to go back to the film i would guess well here's the thing well let me just address the thing with matt so he had cortisone to take down the inflammation and of course during that process he feels awesome you know it's like uh it's like going to the dentist and you have some major work done and you leave there and you say wow that felt great and then the novocaine wears off and you're in total pain uh, you know, so so Matt's has had trouble because he didn't he just addressed the inflammation. But there's a reason why inflammation is the body's way of saying it's its only language of saying, hey, uh, you're doing something that's hurting me and I'd like you to stop using me. 
And if you don't listen, the inflammation gets so bad that you can't straighten or bend your arm without pain. And that's exactly what happened to Matt's. So not going to the cause of the problem and just dealing with the symptoms, which is, of course, what anti-inflammatories do. I mean, you have to go through a course of anti-inflammatories to create an environment for healing because you're not really getting any healing time while you're inflamed. So that is a necessary course, but it can't be the only one. You can't rely on it. And you can't go, wow, I can pitch again, you know, without having made any change. I can pitch again because it doesn't hurt without realizing that it doesn't hurt because you're taking something that's keeping the pain from surfacing. But in Matt's case, his time ran out. So yes, you have to, um, for me, uh, what I do uh, when a pitcher calls me is the first thing I do is I ask to see, for example, um, looking at film of a pitcher. Like if somebody calls me about a major league pitcher, I'll go to whatever film I can find on, uh, on you know, I'll watch a station where they had his game or, and then I'll take a look to see, is there anything I see that can explain it? And what you want is you want someone like me to say, yes, it can be explained. Believe me, nothing's worse than a pitcher not having an answer or some cause for the problem that he's having. And then, of course, having somebody do the adjustment in a way that is going to be uninvasive to the pitcher's psyche and also to the gift that he has. So, uh, yeah, that's that that would be the protocol to follow. Yeah. You know, it's it sounds like what what major leagues are doing with this, you know, treat the symptom and then and then put them back on the mound right after the, the inflammation goes down. It's kind of like your car keeps overheating and you drive it until until it's like it gets so hot that you have to just turn off the car and then. You know, you start up, you let it cool off and you turn on the car again. You drive like five miles and then it overheats again. And then, you okay, you turn off the car, you let it cool down, turn it back on. You drive another five miles and it, it keeps, I mean, I mean, the car just keeps overheating, overheating, overheating because all you're doing is turning it off, waiting and turning it back on. You're not opening the hood and saying, well, wait, is it the thermostat? Is it the cooling? Is it, is there a hose that's busted? You're, you just keep turning the car on and off and eventually the engine's just going to blow because you're not treating the, you know, you're not going to the root cause. You're just treating the symptom by turning off the car and letting it cool off. I mean, is that a good comparison? That's an excellent analogy. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, and while, while you're driving it and it's performing well, you think, oh, it's not that bad because, uh, uh, you know, and then you have a short memory and you forget right. what it was like being stranded on the side of the street last week when it overheated. So you have those moments in between where you're not really dealing with reality. And that's exactly what happens when you don't deal with the cause. Any pitcher that has any kind of an injury or pain that sends him for an MRI, he has such pain that he has to go get an MRI, or he's on the DL, or something's wrong. Whenever something's wrong, there's a reason for it. It doesn't just uh, all of a sudden out of the blue start hurting. Even if the cause, even if a root cause was overuse. Even if a root cause was he didn't recover well, that's a root cause. But those situations created a physical ailment. So you still have to look at where is he hurting in his body and what's he now doing in his mechanics that made that area start to respond to this sort of situation. So it doesn't matter. You have to always look at the physical. And that is what seems to be the thing that 
is neglected and it's probably because if they said it's like there aren't that many people to go to that deal with the mechanics in that kind of way so I think that's kind of what's happening as well or that option is not on their radar because yeah. because the history of changing mechanics for most pitchers is a bad one it's like you have bad memories over coaches trying to change your mechanics or ruining your mechanics. So it's easier to just keep on doing it the way you were hired to do it. Right. And, I, you know, I'm glad you brought up the idea of the MRI because that leads me into the, the third picture from the Mets. The biggest news recently has been that their, their superstar flamethrowing Noah Syndergaard came out of a game his last start in the sixth inning because he had some elbow issues. You know, he had some pain in the back of his elbow and he went for an MRI. And as, as we always hear, the MRI came back quote unquote clean and the MRI had showed no structural damage. And, you know, so now what I, what we also found out was that this was the second time that Syndergaard went for an MRI in the last six weeks. And, you know, you saying that, Going for an MRI is a serious issue. Well, he's done this twice now. And and now I'm thinking about it. If we take that car comparison again, it's like, okay, your car overheated. You turned it off. You brought it into the garage and they just checked the engine just to see if the engine was damaged. All right. The engine's not damaged. Go ahead. Turn the car back on. And then you drive it five miles and then it overheats again. And, you know, and, and again, like, okay, there was no damage to the engine that time, but how many more miles do you drive and how, how long you can drive that car overheated without finding out what's causing it to overheat before finally, you know, again. So now what's my concern is here, here's Noah Syndergaard who is, you know, setting the world on fire. I mean, he is one of the most dominant pitchers in baseball, you know, this side of Clayton Kershaw. And now they said, okay, the MRI came back clean. His elbow has been bothering him all year. Apparently now what do you, what what would the Mets should the Mets do here? I mean, have you taken a look at Noah Syndergaard and his mechanics? Is there something that he could change that could maybe alleviate the issue? Yes. Well, the thing with Noah is, first of all, he has um, he has an issue with he has a deceleration issue. If you his follow through and the way he falls off shows you that somewhere in his motion he's off balance, and it probably has to do with his stride length and some other issues which I can't detect from not having all four views at one time to look at. But um, from what I saw, and I was able to get some good views of him from the last game, um, he does have a deceleration issue. This is something anybody can tell when they watch him pitch. He falls all over the place. He's got a great arm, but he falls all over the place after his pitch. And because it's a consistent kind of thing, it's not a momentum thing. It's not like, wow, he's so on fire, he can't you know, he just goes wherever he goes. It's something that he's actually doing his foot and his ankle completely twist in a way we don't want to see any joint do. So he's got that issue going on. So because he's got a deceleration issue, that means that his brakes, you know, his brakes and uh, his shoulder has to give, um, uh, has to uh, decelerate the elbow. And then the body is supposed to be decelerating at the same time. And he is uh, having pain in the posterior elbow. And the posterior elbow pain is consistent with deceleration issues. So whenever a pitcher, depending on where the location of the pain is on the elbow, you can pretty much tell what part of the motion is causing him extra stress. And it would be that part of the motion, the deceleration. And that matches up to what we see visually. And then the other piece that feeds into that is 
He's a high-powered thrower, so when he gets into that position to accelerate, you want to make sure when his shoulder arrives to that position that he's in really good shape, that his shoulder hasn't been stressed at all till that moment, and then he puts the stress on it as he forces, uh, uses the forces to um, accelerate the ball. Unfortunately, his arm action is so late, and I looked at photos of him from last year. He's always been late, but oh, last week, his arm is probably, his arm is later than any arm I've ever seen. And so because I also see that he's not that off at max external rotation, what he's doing is having to catch up his shoulder during a part of the motion that should be sort of uninvasive. He's having to catch up his shoulder uh, to uh, the rest of the motion, and he ends up doing it. But wow, by the time he gets to where uh, it's showtime, he's been through a lot. So he's kind of beating himself up before he gets to the part of the motion where he does what he does so well. And at somebody at his level and with his skill, he's got a gift. So he's going to do that one way or another. So he's showing up for this party, but half his body is fatigued already. And so that is what's happening with him. So he, he right now, when I see this happening, and the fact he said two MRIs, see, I think the attitude is, oh, I hope the MRI is negative. The attitude should be, I hope it shows us what's wrong. And if it's not wrong, if we're not seeing anything on the MRI, then he has some tissue. He still has some tissue that's hurting him. Something's hurting him. So maybe it's not serious enough to show up on an MRI, but it doesn't mean there isn't something causing him pain. I mean, if you have headaches and you keep going to the doctor or you end up in an emergency room and they say, you know, your tests are negative. What you have to assume is you haven't had the right test yet. You don't want to go home. and You don't go, oh, okay, they're negative, so what am I supposed to do with this headache? No, you would hope that there would be a practitioner there who would say, you know what? We are getting negative on everything, but we know something's wrong because you're saying you're in big, uh, big, big pain. We need to think this through more, and that's exactly what's happening with Syndergaard. But his mechanics explain it. So regardless of what anything is showing, these two issues are going to need to be addressed with him, and they possibly are the reasons why he had surgery to begin with. So, um, yeah, whenever a pitcher complains, you want to go and see if you see some reason for it in his mechanics. Most everything is caused by mechanics, so I, I don't think that... Uh, uh, that his just continuing to pitch is going to have this thing go away. So that, it, what fascinates me is it, he's he's throwing faster than anybody in Major League history, going back to maybe Nolan Ryan is the only one who's done what he's doing. He's, he's averaging 100 miles an hour every pitch. How is he able to reach that kind of velocity on a consistent basis and yet have this, this flaw in his mechanics that it's, you know, how is that not affecting his velocity well he is a gifted pitcher and he's got great great arm action his his problem isn't at the acceleration point what i'm saying is is that he's got a great way he accelerates the ball the way he, he uses his shoulder and elbow mechanics at the time of delivery they're fantastic that's his gift but he's okay. taking his arm into that gifted situation where he's throwing 100. He's taking a shoulder that's been through a lot by the time it arrives there. Multiply that by 170 pitches on a given day when you add up bullpen in between warm-ups and his game. 
so he's not hurting himself because he doesn't have a good arm. He is at, when you are at that kind of speed, it's sort of like if you're going to drive a car fast, you want to be sure that you're taking care of that car. So when you're at your top level of that speed, which you're taking it to, you don't like blow out a tire. Uh, you don't have brakes that aren't up to, up to the uh, level that your speed is at. Everything sort of has to be uh, equal because the fact that it can go so fast means you're more at risk. He's got such a great arm that actually when his velocity started dropping, and, and, and you know, I think it's funny to say, oh, he's only throwing 98, but if he's yeah. starting to drop in velocity, that is his velocity and, and gift starting to downregulate itself to almost come to the level of some of the parts that he has that he is fatiguing. So what I'm saying is he's not fresh when he gets to that acceleration position and it's taking a little bit of a toll. But the posterior elbow pain is telling him that he's got an issue towards the end of the motion. So for him to get the front end timing a little better. His timing right now is different than it was last year. If he heard me saying this right now, he would say, shake his head yes. He knows his arm is a little more behind in the motion than it used to be because pitchers know this. They always know it. And uh, because it's so far behind from what I saw in his game last week, so far behind, he knows it. And so if he heard someone say it, he would be like, yeah. And so he would be on board. He probably himself would be going, okay, I've got to change that. And he may know how to do it. But, um, yeah, his gift is there. When you have a gifted pitcher, you just have to protect him more. And he has to do more things correctly or he gets injured. That's why they think, oh, the, higher, the faster you throw, the more at risk you are. The faster you throw the more necessity it is to have everything being in good shape. Yeah. And, you know, the, the thing that I really want to bring up is that because he throws so hard, there are probably a lot of pitchers out there and pitching coaches who are, who are looking at his motion and saying, oh, you know, he does this at this point in his motion. He does this. He does that. You know, not really understanding what they're looking at and, and, it's possible that pitchers could say, oh, I'm going to try and emulate what Noah Syndergaard does. And there is a point in his motion that it's probably good to try to emulate. But if they're emulating the wrong part, they're going to be hurting their elbow just as he's hurting his elbow. Yes. Yes. You have to know. Listen, the, the part of the body that throws the ball is the acceleration of the shoulder, elbow, and wrist. The rotation delivers the arm. Uh, the rotation of the body as the pitcher squares up to face his target is transferring energy. But in the end, it's the shoulder, the elbow, and the wrist. It's why whenever you have programs that you see that come out for velocity increase, which is, you know, whether they're crazy or not, they're all going to address rotation and the, the shoulder moving faster. You don't hear programs that uh, uh, teach you how to do something else faster. They're going to deal with that. And he's got a gift with that. And it's, a, it's such a gift that... Uh, to house it with all the other pieces going totally correctly is so important. And yes, he does a beautiful job of it. I was really impressed, actually, when I saw 
that, in fact, when I saw how late his arm was, I said, wow, I wonder what he's going to do with this. He's so good that he actually didn't show some of the lateness at max external rotation that I would expect to see. And that elbow velocity is why he's able to throw so hard, matching that to his shoulder velocity. So he really is impressive on a lot of levels. That's why I would love to see a few of these things be taken care of. You shouldn't touch his arm, you know, when he delivers the ball. Uh, for him to come out of the glove with a little different pace and maybe a little different action, that would get his arm to where it needs to be. And then him having some sense of how to decelerate his body a little better, that would be a great thing for him too. And then you're keeping everything that's sacred, sacred, which is his arm, his beautiful acceleration. Yeah, and you know, those those little adjustments are are all that he needs, and unfortunately, that's not what he understands, and that's not what he's seeing because they they asked the uh, the uh, reporters asked him, you know, why do you think you're having these elbow flare ups? And his response was, I guess you could say it's the workload. I've thrown a lot more pitches than I did last year at this time. I'm throwing harder than I did last year. It's probably just basic wear and tear. So. He's not making the connection that there's a flaw in his mechanics. He's he's just on the same, you know, the same thought that everybody in else in else in MLB is that oh, you know, if you throw hard, you're gonna hurt yourself. If you are uh, throwing more, you're going to hurt yourself. And you know that that actually leads me into uh, something else that I wanted to talk to you about, which was an article in Sports Illustrated that talked about velocity and fastballs in particular. Uh, the headline of the story really doesn't completely match the content in the story, which is a little upsetting. The The headline is throwing fastballs, not curveballs linked to Tommy John surgery. And, you know, people are, have headline attention. And, and so like, they don't always read the entire story. And so what comes of that is now everybody's saying, Oh yeah, now, now you throw fastballs, so many fastballs, you keep throwing fastballs. You're going to, you're going to hurt your arm. You're going to hurt your elbow because you're throwing too many fastballs or because you're throwing too fast. And I wanted to point out some things in that article that jumped out at me that weren't really communicated in the headline. You know, they did say that uh, th there's a, there was a study that said throwing a greater percentage of fastballs puts you at higher risk. Um, something like the, the pitchers who had Tommy John surgery had thrown on average 7% more fastballs than the control group. Okay, great. And then there's another thing brought up which was a, a different study by Dr. James Andrews and Glenn Fleissig, where they looked at a lot more pitchers than in the first study from youth to the major leagues. And they said that the pitch type didn't make any difference. And, you know, Glenn Fleissig said pretty much that it, it didn't matter what pitch that you threw, the, the stress was more or less the same. Now, the things that were brought up, though, in the article that don't come up in the headline is that poor fastball mechanics may be a greater risk to the elbow. And another thing that came up was that they said that there were a lot of hard-throwing pitchers like Matt Harvey, Jose Fernandez, St Steven Strasburg. They're all highly successful, and all three of them had Tommy John surgery. Well, I don't know that you can just take one thing and connect it to the other. I don't know if you can, you can just, because of that statement say, all right, now if you throw hard, 
that means you're going to need elbow surgery. Right? I mean, that doesn't really make sense. Yeah. Well, you know, um, so in the field of science, they're always looking for things they can measure. And they're always looking at, I mean, ASMI is such a vast number of people that go through there. And because they take histories on everyone, they can do what are called longitudinal studies. And they can kind of go back 10 years and say, let's look at everybody's had surgery. Let's see what jumps out at us. And when you're taking information for a scientific study, you have to be able to quantify things. You have to have a certain number to make it valid. So you're looking at measurable things. The, that's a great thing about science. We know that when they say something, we know that the data they collected is accurate. The conclusions you draw from it are where you get into danger. And the media loves to go in and pull out something that, of course, is dramatic and, of course, makes a statement. And even people who read the research will extrapolate the results in a way that maybe helps them prove a point they've been trying to make. Or they'll read result, results and say, okay, so that means we should throw a 10-ounce ball. Or they'll read some research and say, okay, well, I'm going to interpret it this way that this would be good for a pitcher. The thing is, is you want to look at research just for what it is, but to extrapolate it and to try to make a conclusion that, therefore, the number of fastballs you throw is going to be the problem is, in my opinion, scary because the more information that comes out that makes it sound like they're getting to the answer for why there's so many injuries, the more you delay looking for the real truth around it. And the truth is, is to even have a discussion about velocity. And I heard John Smoltz talking the other night on MLB Tonight about... Um, Oh, so this study, and he was talking about the article, and he said, yeah, you know, these kids are throwing too hard, and so we got to change that, and we've got to get rid of radar guns, and we've got to change that. I was sitting saying to myself, why is he spending all this time saying something that we know will not happen? This is progress. It's the way the world goes. Our phones are faster. Our computers are faster. Our cars are faster. We use less gas. They have electric cars. Things progress, whether you like it or not. You know, there was a generation that complained about cell phones. You know, they wanted to keep landlines. They wanted to keep answering machines. Well, you know what? I don't care how much you complain. The world moves on. And to right now say, oh, okay, we're going to change things because guess what? Some research said that the more fastballs you throw, the more you're going to uh, hurt your arm. That's ridiculous. And what is really sad to me is it still is another way to take the attention from how somebody does what they do instead of what they're doing. Everything is a what. What they're throwing, what pitch they're throwing, what pitch count they throw, what velocity they throw. When are we going to really have statements that say, guess what? We figured out that it's how they throw the fastball that's the problem. It's how they pitch in their mechanics that become a problem. And if I, being one of the few people that the minute somebody's injured, I just jump in in a neutral way to see, can I see something that would indicate how he had stress around his forearm? 
his elbow, wherever he's had stress. And I always am able to say, oh, he's doing this right here. And we know that that hurts that joint. So I have never yet seen somebody be injured where his mechanics didn't show the evidence of that type of injury. So the research is being, they of course have to continue doing that research. It's what keeps science alive. But we have to be careful about how we extrapolate what the research is saying. Yeah. And, you know, the, 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 real, the thing that really jumped out at me, you know, I, I mentioned when I, was, when I was talking about this, it's a specific quote in the article. Peruse a list of the hardest throwers and you'll find top tier pitchers like Matt Harvey, Jose Fernandez and Steven Strasburg, all of whom highly successful. All three have the Tommy John scar inside their elbow. And then, and the thing that's jumped out at me was if this study that was done about the fastballs included these three guys and other pitchers that have some like similar uh, mechanical flaws or some kind of mechanical flaw, then I have a real hard time with the study because you have, you can't have a study where all the pitchers have different mechanics and some have flaws and, and others don't have flaws. I mean, that's to me that has, that's not very helpful to us. Yeah, it doesn't make the research invalid. What it does is probably at the end of the research, I mean, to, to give credit, I mean, to science needs this. I mean, they, they look at things and here's what science depends on. So they have all these backgrounds and they're counting all these, they're, they're doing all this analysis of data. They're doing a meta-analysis to see what, are they seeing any consistencies? And what science is about is all scientists, like myself, listening to it and saying, hmm, just for example, since I heard that research, I said, hmm, I'd like to ask Glenn, you know, I think Glenn should do some research where we take a look at what percentage, and they would need somebody qualitative, by the, by, by the way, to do this. Like if I sat down and looked, let's say of that list they had that had Tommy John surgery, if I sat down with a hundred, the film of a hundred pictures and was able to see how many of them use the inverted W method, which is something that it's qualitative. We can't measure it. It's be hard for them to, to measure certain things, but it's so clear black and white that if you had six coaches looking at the same picture doing the inverted W, there would be very much a high consistency with all of us saying, yes, he's doing an inverted W. It would be interesting to see how many pictures, for example, we know that Strasbourg was the first one that actually brought the uh, the uh, that term to bear. Then we've got Syndergaard. We talked about him today. Oh, Syndergaard does. I, I don't think he does that, but Wheeler, Zach Wheeler does. Excuse me. Yeah, Wheeler definitely yeah. does. Yeah, you know when you when you are able to look at mechanics, and then and and that's what we need. We need. Hey, we found out that excessive flexion at MER. Ninety percent of the guys that we looked at, but see, they we would need game film. And this is, you know, actually what I'm suggesting right now is such a great idea. I'm going to call Glenn when I, on Monday <laughs> and suggest something that we need to start looking at the mechanics contribution. But see, this is why science is so cool, because, because I heard that my brain is going and there's another scientist somewhere, his brain's going, and then we come up with ideas and then it moves forward. But you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but the problem is, Science now, which is great, we're so much out there in the public that we have non-scientific people interpreting it. And then we have the media coming up with a headline. 
and then they interpret it any way they want. It's just like the interpretation of research on weighted balls, the interpretation of research on long toss. You have to be really careful when you try to go for or against something based on research and you're looking at it just in the way that serves you. So the uh, the thing that has to happen is we we really absolutely need to start looking at the mechanics contribution to the injuries and to the number of injuries not I mean he's bringing up a point that they're throwing more fastballs but a pitcher can throw more fastballs because maybe that maybe they so happen to have pitchers who that was their most effective pitch. Plus, it's only 7% more fastballs. That's not a big deal. It might be statistically significant enough for the research to be able to say it, but that's not a big deal to me. And we know that the style of pitch that is thrown is part of baseball strategy. I mean, even if you could, let's say there was something that we all believed. Let's say if science... We all believed, yes, you've got to limit the fastballs. Listen, if a hitter gets up to the plate and it's a count and the bases are in such a, a configuration, the guys on base are in such a configuration that that pitching coach thinks a fastball should be thrown, he's going to have that pitcher throw a fastball. You would change the nature of the game if you start saying, let's limit fastballs. The only place a pitcher can take this into consideration is in his bullpen. But he needs to use the bullpen to locate his fastball. And then, of course, he always mixes in his other pitches anyway. So to take stress off the elbow, yes, he could throw some other pitches. But guess what? The forces aren't the only thing that are affecting the fatigue of the pitcher's arm. So I don't care if they say he throws more fastballs. If he throws a split change, something where his fingers are spread apart, his forearm is probably getting more fatigued from that than it, than it is from a fastball. So, the, But science still has to extrapolate numbers and look at things because the conversation we're having is an important one because if the people who are out there listening that have a background in science, a background in creativity about looking at problems, they're right now, their brains are going, and this is how we will come to a solution. So science is sort of a diving board, but the problem is when people misinterpret it. And so, and also I have a problem with discussing things that aren't possible. Pitchers need to be given hope, and the hope that I want pitchers to have is if you have pain, it's something you're doing, and the sooner we figure out what you're doing and the sooner you get that adjusted, then you'll be out of pain. There is no other way of looking at it that gives a pitcher as much hope, and pitchers need hope. Everyone needs hope. They deserve it, and it's the way you keep moving forward in your career. Um, so to come up with some solution that isn't based in reality to me is uh, useless. So. Uh, trying to get rid of radar guns, uh, trying to limit fastballs, it's not going to work. Yeah, and you know, that with that headline doesn't really tell anybody either. It, it, you would get to the idea that if you throw a lot of fastballs and you throw with high velocity, you're going to hurt your elbow. Well, that doesn't really explain pitchers like Jamie Moyer, who I don't know if you're familiar with him. He was a pitcher who threw maybe 80 miles an hour for many years and through a lot of change-ups and through a lot of curveballs and he needed Tommy John surgery. So there's a guy who didn't throw a lot of fastballs and still needed Tommy John surgery. So I don't know, you know, and 
there, there were some other points in the article all the way toward the bottom that I also want to cover really quickly. Uh, there was something brought up by the, um, uh, what is the, he's the White Sox team doctor, Anthony Romeo. Uh, him and Stan Conti, were, uh, who was the Dodgers doctor, were both talking about fatigue. And Conti said, fatigue seems to be the underlying issue in most Tommy John injuries. And, and then Romeo uh, went one step further. He said the fatigue-related changes seen in leg and core mechanics caused pitchers to open up earlier, increasing stress to the elbow and shoulder. The reality is that every throw creates forces that are high enough to tear the Tommy John ligament, so it's up to the muscles to balance that force. And, you know, that that's that's the how. Like, that's that's part of what we've been talking about for three years here. Now, And he also goes on to say, he suggests strengthening the legs and to prevent arm injuries and to prevent arm injuries and increase, increase performance. So he's saying strengthen the legs. He says you should strengthen the core and the legs, and then the arms will have their muscles absorb more of the force of the pitching and reduce the strain to tendons and ligaments. And I think that's a great thought, but if you're still pitching with bad mechanics, all of the sit-ups or core exercises or, or you know, leg exercises you do, it, you're, you're, if you're still throwing incorrectly, all of that exercise with the leg and the core is still not going to prevent you from getting hurt, I would think, right? Yes, mechanics have to be sound. You have to use each joint in the way it was designed. And you have to use it in the way it's most efficient for the pitching motion to allow all the phases of the motion to occur. And then once you have that down, you build in the strength at those angles so that you are become even more skilled at maintaining and repeating that performance. So a front leg that needs to land at, let's say, uh, a, a particular angle and uh, the lowest angle it should la land at is 30 degrees, so um, a flexion. So if we have, and actually I want to remove that number because I may be misquoting that, but there's a specific angle that I'm seeing in my head. And um, uh, if a pitcher lands at a lower angle than that, he's going to probably sink towards the ground. If he lands at that angle, his ability with his hamstring to support his knee angle is going to be better. So a pitcher learning how to land at that angle is one thing, and then building in the strength. And this is actually the skill I'm working out with all my pitchers right now. So we actually got out a goniometer. I showed them all the exact perfect angle to land at or where not to go below. And then once they understood that, and I had them doing it downhill in a sort of an exercise uh, way, then we went and started doing lunges and exercises, stopping that leg at that angle so that they would build in the strength at that angle. So that's where strength is so important. But yes, you're absolutely right. The mechanics have to be there. The other thing is, is they were talking about fatigue. Absolutely, fatigue is the number one cause, particularly in Tommy John, because the forearm gets fatigued. But what I want everyone to remember is when you're doing something incorrectly, you fatigue way faster than when you're doing it correctly. So the efficiency of the movement and an understanding by the performer of what he's supposed to do and then being able to do it is one thing. And then building in the strength to repeat it is the second step. So all these issues with what pitch he's throwing or whatever go away when you start with that. And I love that they're having this conversation 
And what we're doing is quantifying or qualifying it even more by saying, yes, the mechanics need to be there in order that though this that strength training helps. You see how we're starting. There is conversation about it, and this is really good news. And so I think things may be starting to go in that direction. And as I've always said, out here, you know, when pitchers come to me, we've been doing this. We're not major leagues is actually behind a little bit because, you know, there are people who do work with mechanics and they make these changes. So and it does work. It does work. Yeah, you know, I, bet, between the communication lines being open that we talked about earlier with, the, you know, talking about fatigue and, and talking about core and getting stronger with that, all the pieces, most of the pieces are there. And I feel like right here and right now, we're, we're kind of filling the gaps. And, and of course, you're always connecting the dots. So this, this is pretty cool. This is, uh, man, I, I think you just, you just uh, finished a pretty strong teaching moment right there, didn't you? I hope everybody uh, heard it, and I it will be the one that keeps saying this, and I'm going to keep saying it, and there is no other tune that I will be singing when it comes to this because this is uh, somebody has to say it, and I will stay in the corner of the pitchers so that every pitcher who has pain knows that regardless of anybody suggesting that there's a solution, there is a solution. You just have to get your brain to wrap yourself around it. And that uh, that's the next step. So, yeah, that, that that's great. All right. Well, that means we've done our new segment. We've done our teaching moment segment. There's one more segment left, and that is location, location, location. What do you have for me this week, Angel? I don't know. I've run out of ideas. No, I'm oh, just on. kidding. <laughs> I know you keep you keep waiting for that day to come. So anyway, well, I got a lot of response and emails about my little wearing the jeans and putting, uh, you know, the, the people were taking that literally, I think, and putting on blue jeans and going on the mound. It was so funny to have some feedback from different people on it. So I hope, you know, it was an imaginary pair of jeans where you would see if both pockets are facing forward because most people who aren't involved in anatomy, they don't they can't see a pelvis rotating the way that maybe a physical therapist could or somebody who does what I do. But anyway, that was a very popular segment. So now I want to continue with this. And since I've got all of you going behind the catcher to watch the pitcher and his rotation, I want to talk about the second level of this. So what we know is that, and we've talked about this since the beginning of the segment, and also much of this also relates to the velocity segments we did last year, is when a pitcher throws a ball, he needs to be facing his target. And we started the location segments, you know, with talking about the wrist, the elbow, the shoulder. We just took it from the hand on the way down. But one of the things that's always been consistent is we want the pitcher facing his target. And by the way, Syndergaard does a great job of facing his target. That's another thing he does really well. And so, and what does that mean that he's facing his target? It means just what it says, that if he's going forward towards the plate and he's tilting over his front leg, that he has rotated to square up to the plate to where... He, when you see the pitcher coming towards the in the direction of the catcher and the hitter, he's coming straight over his leg, and his arm, of course, is out to the side, and that is how he's maintaining his his not only his acceleration because now his shoulder joint is lined up correctly to rotate forward, just like your tire does. It rotates forward real fast. 
you want that tire going in the direction of your acceleration, correct? So being sure that the pitcher is squared up. And last week I talked about if he's in such a configuration with his feet mm -hmm. that his pelvis can't square up, he can't get around completely mm -hmm. with his entire body to throw the ball. So that is why last week was so important. Now let's take the pitcher who has not got that problem. He has maybe his legs in a correct position, but because of some other error he's making, and it could be many causes, when he rotates to square up, he actually over-rotates. So when you look at a right-handed pitcher and you're standing behind the catcher, and you see him rotating, and let's say here come his two jean pockets, and here comes his middle trunk. As he brings his upper trunk around, usually having to do with some improper shoulder or elbow mechanics, he actually over-rotates, and you will actually see the name or the number on his shirt. It will face outside to a righty, his shoulders may go completely outside to that righty, and he'll be forcing his right arm to stay in alignment. But because his trunk is facing towards his left, and his arm is delivering the ball on the right side of his body, he's not completely squared up. He's not completely going towards the plate. And he's either going to have a location problem and usually a velocity problem. Not always, but definitely could have a location problem. And this is one of the main flaws that occurs when you have a pitcher who throws a four-seam fastball and that it has a funny spin once in a while. And this over-rotation is something that's very easy to see. Now, the purpose of this segment is because I want everyone who's out there working in the trenches like I am and you don't have film analysis maybe it's not at your level but you're a coach and you have pitchers that have problems what I'm hoping is that I give you some ideas of what to look for every single thing is important and whatever stuck in your head this makes you a better coach if let's say on the segment of the pockets, you really got that. Or maybe you really got the landing of the stride. Or maybe you really got the wrist being behind the ball. These are important tips so that when you, when a, when a pitcher starts missing, you don't feel so frustrated and you actually have a list of things that are personal to you that you actually understand that you can actually look for. And standing behind the catcher, and seeing if the rotation is complete or does it over rotate does he over rotate his upper body so that you'll see his chest going one way his arm going the other into right-handed pitcher his chest and his shoulders would be diagonal to the plate he would be twisted towards the left with struggling to keep his arm and hand right where it needs to be and that is why oftentimes because he's pulling away from his arm, his wrist actually bends and he ends up getting his fingers on the side of the ball. This is some one of the most common errors I see, particularly in youth pitchers. And it is very easy to see and that's why I love it as a location tip. Because no matter your level, and you coaches have great eyes, I've always said that, you can see things. This is a very easy thing to see. And it's a very easy thing to talk to the pitcher about. And he usually can feel it. So that's my 
tip today on location. Another, another reason why rotation and correct rotation and thorough rotation is so important to location as much as it is to velocity. Yeah, so we got a bonus today. We got a, a location tip and a velocity tip all in one. You know, that I'm, I'm glad that you use this as, as uh, one of your tips because I feel like growing up and, and even today when I go out in the field and I, and I hear some pitching coaches talking, everyone is always talking about make sure you rotate your hips, make sure you rotate, make sure you rotate. And I, I think that, uh, there should be a better, a better instruction. Make sure you correctly rotate because I, I think a lot of pitchers get like the wrong signal and, and they rotate too much and that throws everything off. Yes. And, you know, I want to say, and, and if anybody has a pitcher doing it, and for most of you coaches, you probably already know, because the pitcher ends up facing, he's actually facing the an incorrect direction. But what you want to do, and I'll just give one simple troubleshooting tip. When you see that, watch the, watch the pitcher's glove arm. Because if the glove arm is wild and out of control, or he's circling his glove arm in instead of pulling it in, it's going to pull his shoulder girdle and his upper chest out of out of alignment. And so his left arm will pull his upper body towards the left, and he's struggling to keep his hand right where he wants it to be for release. Uh, and by the way, this is very frequently seen in pitchers that complain of uh, shoulder pain in front of their, uh, you know, sh pain in front of their shoulder. So that's just a little troubleshooting tip. So if you see that, check out the glove arm and see what he's doing with that. Wow, that's great. Thanks so much, Angel. So that's it. That's our show. That's episode seven. Thanks so much for listening to my conversation with Pitching Motion Troubleshooter Angel Borelli. If you want to learn more about Angel, you can visit her website. That's gymscience.com, G-Y-M-S-C-I-E-N-C-E.com. There's plenty of information about pitching. And one of the things you'll really want to check out is her book on strength and conditioning the elbow for pitchers. For more about me, you can visit fixingpitchers.com. We look forward to hearing your feedback, so please hit us up on Twitter at fixingpitchers. In the meantime, I hope you learned something, and I wish you safe and effective performance on the pitching mound.